genius. I hate people. I hate people. This is why they're the worst. Are you ready for it? What up? What season two? Hey, kicking it off. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, Canadians, please don't leave us. Oh, my God, why? Um, because everyone's seen the title of this episode and I'm doing the Ted Bundy of Canada. But you have to hear me out. Okay. All right. My friend Crithers texted me a few weeks ago, suggested I do this story, which I responded to her. And I was like, eh, I think it's too well known. And she had never heard it before. And she's like really in the know about this shit. She's written a paper on like Helter Skelter, the book about Charles Manson from the prosecution of that trial and met Krista Pike, the angel face killer. She interviewed her like she is so well versed in true crime. So when she said she hadn't heard it, I was like, whoa, I prompted me to do that poll on Reddit and Instagram and doing it one by landslide. Yeah, it was a landslide. And two of our Canadian listeners DM'd and we're like, no, I mean, I'll never get sick of hearing it. Um, I can't wait to see, hear how you tell it, which puts me on a lot of pressure. <laughs> I was like, oof, okay. So y'all let me know if I get something wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I, I could have researched this for years. There's so much on it that I'm like, I'm never going to do a well-known case again. Too many sources, too yeah. many things. So I'm like, oh my God, I was fact-checking everything. Yeah, for real. Um, no, I don't think, well, I guess for American listeners, I don't think it's like, I mean, it is pretty well known, but you'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm going to do Jaminet next week. Mm-mm. I'm kidding. I was about to say, go, no. Obviously not. This will probably be the most well known we do, I hope. I don't That's know. all up for interpretation. Well, I know. Yeah, you're right. But um, I do want to first, at the top, thank such loyal listeners. Y'all are Wait, oh. I'm Rachel. Ah, <laughs> uh, skirt. Skirt. I am determined to remember to do this. I'm Rachel. I'm Rebecca. Hey. Um, I'll hey. be telling my story. Rebecca's telling her story this week. That's right. We're identical twins, so our voices are the same, and we get how that can be confusing. Yeah. And <laughs> someone suggested that we identify ourselves every episode, and then, of course, we do it the one time and not ever again. <laughs> right. Okay. So get get into your spiel. So we want to show our appreciation to the loyal listeners we've gotten. Thank y'all so much. Um, As y'all know, we have a company, Twinks, T-W-I-N-N-K-S, which is a bra and loungewear um, company. And we want to say thank y'all by giving y'all 25% off your purchase uh, using the promo code PEOPLESUCK. (laughs) PEOPLESUCK. Um, yeah, 25% off site-wide. I'm not going to put like a, just off your entire order. Yeah, because thank y'all so much. And the word of mouth has been great. So every friend you tell, please keep it up because we'd love to do this full time. Yeah, (laughs) it's, yeah, I agree. I don't know what else to add, but yeah, you are the best. You are the best. Um, so yeah, do that done if they're comfy. Yeah, they're comfy. They have a built-in bralette. The loungewear does. And anyway, you like it. And free returns. So 
Yeah. How about it? Why not? Come on. Come on. We both did that. Um, All right. So with that, I am doing the story of Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo, known as the Ken and Barbie killers, except I hate that term for them. I really want to rebrand them. Because they're called... Because it's like too pretty. Yeah, they're called that because they're good looking. But yeah. why why give them that? And who cares if they're good looking? Like or we can change the reason for it to be like, like Ken and Barbie dolls. They are emotionless and soulless. There you go. Uh-huh. Or we just call them all something different, like something else. Evil, yeah. evil twat monsters. <laughs> Ew. What do we th- uh-huh love so, evil twat monsters it just yeah. rolls off the tongue uh-huh so right. i'm doing the story of the evil twat monsters formerly known as there you go the ken and barbie killers okay <laughs> ready, <laughs> ready for my sources lord have mercy get buckle pretty. up sit back and get pretty all that is interesting murderpedia criminalminds.com the killer psyche podcast which is the host is a former FBI agent and a psychiatric analyst. Love that. Writing about crime, also a podcast hosted by a Canadian local. I think she's a reporter. I couldn't find much on her. But um, there's a book, The Ken and Barbie Killers, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka by Peter Vronsky. Uh, Do you read I, it? I, I didn't read the full thing, but I did. I got some. I got a lot out of it. Oh, okay. The Canadian Encyclopedia and Paul Bernardo. Oh, I'm sorry, there are a few more psychology today. Oh and God. Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka.weebly.com. Jesus. I'm exhausted. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. Paul Bernardo was born in Ontario, Canada in 1964 to Kenneth and Marilyn Bernardo. They were upper middle class and considered well off, but his father was an abusive asshole who was charged with child molestation in 1975 when Paul was 11. And he even began abusing his own daughter, Paul's sister. Ugh. Marilyn became so depressed over this abuse, she completely withdrew from her family and moved down to the basement. So very dysfunctional family life. Yet, Paul wasn't as affected by this as his brother and sister were. It really took a toll on them, but Paul seemed kind of unscathed by it. He was always smiling and happy, which could have been how he dealt with it. But... Given how his life pans out, I doubt it. He just couldn't care less. Yeah. When Paul was 16, his mom sat him down and told him that Kenneth wasn't his biological father. He had, she had had an affair and got pregnant by a former boyfriend. And instead of Paul exhaling a sigh of relief that he doesn't have the same DNA as this monster, mm-hmm. he called his mom a whore and berated her. I mean, you, you grow up watching your dad father figure be a dick to women and sexually abuse little girls i mean it's not surprising that you live thinking that's how you treat women just saying sure jesus uh, i know what a little punk what how old is this little punk ass bitch <laughs> 16 at this point oh what an asshole so she retaliates and on a regular basis calls him a bastard Ugh, so it's uh, all just a fucked up home life oh, i do not love that no nothing's going well and like, okay. Okay, mom, that's your fault. <laughs> no, I know. Okay. Like, ha, you don't have a dad. Like, because you had a one night stand. Yeah, who do I thank for that? But she's 
emotionally, physically abused. Now her son is abusing, you know, verbally yeah. abusing her. It's just a lot going on in that household that I would want nothing to do with. No. So after graduating high school, he started working at Amway, which is, you, have you ever heard of that? No. It's a multi-level marketing company that sells health, beauty, and home care products. And they apparently had a very aggressive sales strategy. I mean, you hear multi-level marketing. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to say. I know. Pyramid scheme. No, I know exactly what it is. It's, uh-huh. Yeah. That time era's uh, beauty counter. What, uh, what is, what's the main one? I can't think. Whatever. Yeah. And it is a pyramid scheme. Um, the main focus is getting their employees to recruit other people to sell their products. And they do this by exaggerating income. And once those poor people are in, they tell them that they won't attain the wealth unless they adhere to the system. Proper noun, the system. Oh, my God. Which, from what I can tell, is buying a bunch of motivational tools from Amway, some more revenue for them, that essentially teaches you how to sell get-rich-quick schemes to other people. Oh, my gosh. It's beyond beauty counter and all that. Not so bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like a real pyramid scheme. Oh, yeah. They would tell their employees, you're not required to buy the motivational tools. It's optional. And so is success. <laughs> it's like oh. one of those, like, you grimy con artists, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. It's that reminds so... me of when my boss used to, I used to ask, like, just, just outlandish requests. And he'd be like, oh, do whatever you want on your last day. Like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Loud and clear. Oh, that's a funny one. <laughs> it was a bit. I wasn't asking being serious, but it'd be funny mm-hmm. stuff. Like, are you opposed to me drinking wine while I work in the office? <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Do whatever you want in your last day. <laughs> I like that. That was good. Anyway, so that's all about manipulating and deceiving people. And Paul was very influenced by it. He gravitated to all the videos and he would apply those tactics to picking up girls at bars. Douche. Yeah. By the time Paul attended University of Toronto in Scarborough, he developed dark sexual fantasies, one of which was a virgin farm where he would breed virgins to rape. Like, women aren't even people. We're animals to him. My eyes are so big right now. Yeah. What an asshole. So you don't know, like, the you don't know the details of this. No, it's, and it's been, um, like, I've seen... Dateline ask, I don't know if actually Dateline, but you know, shows like that on it. I remember a very specific podcast years ago. Like, there's, it's, I don't know the nitty gritty at all. Okay. But, you know, right. I mean, I know it's well known, but yeah, you're going to tell me things and I'm shocked by it. This is not an act. I'm not just like trying to <laughs> sensationalize no. my shock behind some of the things she's saying. I did not know that. Okay. Well, you're not going to know a lot of things then, I bet. But, I guess because of his good looks and outgoing personality, he was able to date around and had a few girlfriends, but he got off on humiliating them and degrading them in public. It's all very, he was very controlling. Over time, this led to beating them and threatening to kill them if they ever shared what quote unquote home life was like. All while maintaining a great reputation, he was very popular. He had a ton of friends who were none the wiser to what was going on behind closed doors. In May of 1987, he started his rape spree in Scarborough. He would target young women getting off the city bus, hide in the bushes, and attack them from behind at knife point. He would then drag them behind the bush, rape, and sodomize them. 
the victim's age ranges were 15 to 21. And he really enjoyed the initial terror in their eyes when being attacked. When he was done raping them, he told them to lay face down, count to 30 so he could run away, except he wouldn't run away. He would be hiding so that when they open their eyes and thinking he's gone, he would jump out and do it all over again. Wait, and this, are you? How sick is that? And it's, so it's like late at night? Yeah, it's like at the end of the day, you're getting off your city bus. I know I didn't specify what time at night, but yeah, it's at night. So, but people are around. I know, it's a big city. I don't. Oh my God, that is terrifying. I guess at knife point, you're, I mean, by looks of him, you don't think he's a threat. And then by knife point, you're not screaming. So I guess he's just, and he's so cocky. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. With his first victim, she got off the bus, walked all the way home. And as she was approaching her front door, he attacked and raped her in her own front yard. Parents steps away. So it's like he was taunting her that like nowhere is safe, even when you're practically inside your house. Yeah. And there's probably an element of excitement in his sick-ass mind that, like, her parents might see, which, again, he gets off on that humiliation. Like, your parents are going to see you have sex. I don't know. He's just... Yeah. So the community was going crazy on who the serial rapist was, and the Toronto police asked that women travel in pairs, especially when taking the bus at night, and after the fourth attack, they deemed him the Scarborough rapist. But they had zero leads. October of 87, that same year, he met 17-year-old Carla Homolka at a bar in Toronto. Carla was born in 1970 in Port Credit, Ontario. She was the oldest of three girls. Lori was the middle sister, and Tammy was the youngest. She was a girly girl and had a lot of friends who described her as confident and, from what I can tell, a little bossy. They used to joke to not get in a fight with Carla because she always wins. (laughs) I'm going to elbow drop Carla. (laughs) (laughs) If only. For real. In high school, their clique called themselves the (laughs) the Diamond Club because they wanted to meet wealthy, good-looking men and marry young. Like, goals. Goals. Yeah. No. Girls, don't marry too young. Like, have fun out there. That's a stupid goal. For real. All in all, she had a normal upbringing. Her parents were happily married, loved their children. She was a self-proclaimed daddy's girl, so no father issues there. And she got along great with her sisters. Normal life, not much to say about it. Right. I hate the term daddy's girl, but sure. Oh, I know. As a teenager, she did start a little rebellious stage. One article pointed out that she wore black and started playing jokes on her friends, which, hey, hey. Listen. Listen. There are no red flags there. I live for that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm I want to know more about these jokes. Are they funny ones? <laughs> no, no. In fact, they're much darker than what we would play on our friends. Once she convinced her friend to make a parachute for her pet hamster and Carla threw it out the window, obviously killing the hamster. And the friend was devastated, but Carla apparently showed no emotion. For the, why are you laughing? <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, Rachel was laughing when I've been. Church, church giggles. Church giggles. And well, but only because I'm thinking, like, I'm sorry. She would 
kill her <laughs> kill, kill her friend's pet and then be like just kidding <laughs> that's the joke that's the joke <laughs> it was a joke <laughs> oh my god that is horrible but i'm just laughing at that being like why are you so upset it was a joke <laughs> My hamster's dead. This is a classic Rach joke, actually. I knew you are going to. That's actually why I started laughing. So I was like, this is precisely <laughs> what Rebecca accuses me of all the time. I'll like, Rach, like, borrows very expensive clothes. And I'm like, you have to fold that up. And she throws it into a pile of, like, on a dirty floor. And she's like, just kidding. I'm like, but it's still on the floor, dirty. Like, it's the, so the damage, irritating. The damage is done. The damage is still done, even though that's, you're kidding. <laughs> that's the real reason I started laughing. It's because I knew you were going to accuse me of that. She always says that. I will be like, every because you do it every time. Because <laughs> she's a psycho about it. She's like, if you do not hang this up, <laughs> she just berates me about it. I'm like, okay, fine. Take it off. Like, could not throw it on the floor quick enough. Piled oh up God. in a dirty mess. And then she gets mad because I'm like, what? I'm just kidding. Calm I'm down. like, I know, but it's still now it's still dirty. The damage is already done. It takes a expensive pair of shoes, you break a heel. You're like, just kidding. <laughs> no, like, well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't kill your pet either and then say, just kidding. What if- Ani would maul you. Right. Would never have the opportunity. But what a psycho. Oh, I know. <laughs> but, sorry, so- that just cracked me up. Church giggles galore. Sorry. Poor hamster, poor friend. No, yeah. So her friend was devastated. Carla showed no emotion for the dead hamster or even the crying friend. Like, in fact, three months later, she asked her friend if she could dig it up to see what the carcass looked like. So I'm like, Ew. you had something in you. You had some sort of weird... Mm-mm. She also told another friend she had dark fantasies, such as drawing dots all over a man's body and playing connect the dots with a knife. Weird shit like that, but most people who knew her said that was all for attention. They did not think that's how she genuinely was. She's trying to be, like, edgy and different. Oh, my God, but she genuinely killed a pet, so that's just so weird. Okay, great. Right. So at 17, she got a part-time job at a pet store and was at a pet food convention in Scarborough, which is when she met Paul at the hotel bar. They had a six-year age difference, which at 17, that's a lot. But apparently when they locked eyes, that was it. It was an immediate attraction. And within the hour, they were up in Carla's hotel room having sex, which I don't know what the Diamond Club thinks about putting out on the first night. But I'm wondering. Yeah, for real. Early in their relationship, Paul revealed a fantasy of having a French maid submit to his every desire as her master. And to his surprise, Carla liked the idea. <laughs> this was, yeah, this was the start of a very dominant, submissive relationship. After graduating high school in 1988, her love for animals landed her a job at Thorough. Sorry, the, the irony. But no, <laughs> it gets even more ironic. Hold on. Okay. For her love for animals, except hamsters, landed <laughs> her a job at Thorough Veterinarian Clinic. But eventually she quit because she didn't like how they treated them, the animals. So she started working at Martindale Animal Clinic in St. Catharines. I'm like, you are just a walking hypocrite. Everything you do is contradiction. You'll see. see, But yeah. So St. Catharines is about an hour and a half to two hours from Toronto. And she was a full-time vet technician. 
She was no longer interested in going to college. She just wanted to be with Paul. Now, the rapes in Scarborough didn't stop once Paul got a girlfriend. In fact, he actually asked Carla one night, what would you say if I told you I'm the Scarborough rapist? To which she responded, that would be cool. Jesus. With Carla's stamp of approval, he continued, and in December of that year, he raped a 15-year-old, which lasted about an hour. These ca- I know, and I'm sorry to say an hour, but every single case they mention how long it took and how long he tortured them for, I'm guessing to show us like how confident he was of not getting caught and like an hour of pure torture while they're awake and public fighting back. Like you would think you'd want to get in and out, but it just speaks volumes of his arrogance, thinking he can get away with anything. Right. And how, <clears throat> sir, like even the girl in her front yard, mm-hmm. like while her parents were home, I'm like, you you think you're so invincible that the dad wouldn't come out there and shoot you in the head right. from behind. Like, right. You're, ugh, you're so, so convinced of, yeah. You're so convinced that nothing's going to happen to you. Like you have no idea. Yeah. Whatever. So it was the day after this particular rape, the Toronto police put a task force together, but the investigation went nowhere, even though they had tons of physical evidence. So December 23rd, 1989, rolls around. Paul proposes to Carla. It's just really time stamping. They're engaged now. Yeah. Match made in heaven. Yeah. Match made in hell is how I end it, right? Oh, shit. In 1990, he had attacked and raped his 11th victim, and she was the only one who got a clear look at him. So the police finally got a sketch of him, which they released to the public two days later. They were overwhelmed with how many tips they that came in and had 130 suspects already when two tips came in claiming it looked like Paul Bernardo. They brought him in for questioning, and he even joked that it really did look like him, and he was willing to give his blood, saliva, and hair samples, and he went on his merry way. While the composite sketch did, it looks exactly like him. This would be the one, one of them that I post. While it looks exactly like him, the detectives concluded that such a well-educated, well-adjusted man couldn't have been responsible for such a vicious crime, which is so irritating. It's so irritating. And that's the part, that's one of the parts I remember. And I'm like, but this is after Ted Bundy. Yeah. Everyone said he was so nice, so right. cute. I know. And, and he was in jail at this point. I have a note that says, have we learned nothing from Ted Bundy? Right there. Nothing. Yeah, I just, I mean, can't help to think it's the good-looking, rich, white boy that somehow comes off trustworthy to people, even though he looks exactly like the damn picture. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. Mind you, this is 1990, so DNA was very new, and they only had one qualified technician to do all these tests. And he was testing it in the order when they came in, so Paul's was going to be a while. This is also annoying. Like, start with the easy ones. Start with the ones who fit the bill and were in Scarborough at the time and test those first. This is, I have a note that this is like Rachel's pet peeve at coffee shops. <laughs> it, you, you got to break order sometimes. It's really <laughs> inefficient not to. Uh, 130 DNA uh-huh. samples for mm-hmm. this crime. And they're like, let's go in order. Even right. though this person could have lived a thousand miles away. Right. Let's, we can't skip them. Right. It he came in before Paul Bernardo, who looks exactly like him. Oh, a note about coffee shops. 
or the, any order at the counter places. Yeah, I know, but the times that stick out in my mind were always a coffee shop that like are very anal about like the rules and who is in order in line first and who ordered a drink first. Like <laughs> we were in Atlanta recently and ordered a muffin. But the guy in front of me had like some very complicated drink order. The muffin was sitting right there in the case. No, he had a, um, it was a breakfast sandwich. It was very involved. They had to scramble the eggs. I had to do everything. And Rachel, like, I just want the muffin in the case. Oh. She's like, well, he was, uh, he ordered first. So we have to make his first. They were like, we have a ticket in front of you. I was like, can you just, just hand, the damn hand me the muffin? Mm-hmm. So Paul eventually moves in with Carla and her family in St. Catharines to save up for the wedding. And they love him. Her parents, are already calling him their son, and the sisters really look up to him. So the attacks in Scarborough stop for a while, but the rapes in St. Catherine increase a little bit. Again, another opportunity to narrow down suspects, but that's okay. On the outside, things look like they're going well for the couple, but one thing that's really irks Paul is that Carla wasn't a virgin when they met. Evident to a sick virgin farm fantasy. He ha- really has a fetish for taking girls' virginities. Ew. Carla would role play as a young virginal girl, but it wasn't fulfilling Paul enough. So he turned his sick attention to Carla's youngest sister, Tammy, 15 years old. Right. This is the part that stands out to me the most, which is why I think I. I blocked out other details because this, I'm like, oh, God. I didn't even realize you would know this. Yes. And instead of being repulsed and outraged, Carla once again encouraged it. She even broke Tammy's blinds to make it easier for Paul to watch her at night, masturbating while she slept. In December of 1990, six months before their wedding, Carla stole halothane from the animal clinic, which is, can be used to induce or maintain anesthesia. I give it to, I think they give it to animals as they're putting them down. Oh, oh God. I didn't know that's what it was. Okay, go on. And told Paul that for Christmas, she was going to give him her little sister's virginity. As if it's fucking hers to give. Go to hell. I hate people. Oh, this is the part. I don't like it one bit. Okay. Okay. On December 23rd, 1990, exactly one year after he proposed, Carla's family was having a Christmas party, and Paul was a camcorder type of guy. He filmed everything, so there's footage of everyone having a good time. There's Christmas decorations. There's music playing. Just wholesome fun. Carla's parents and middle sister, Lori, go to bed, and Carla and Paul stay up and ask Tammy if she wants to stay up and drink with them, which... As a former 15-year-old with older <laughs> sisters, this is huge. It's so exciting. Yeah. That is so sad. I know. So she's all F yeah. And there's footage of her sitting on the couch holding her rum and eggnog, laughing along with her cool older sister and soon-to-be brother-in-law, unknowingly drinking crushed-up sleeping pills. Once she's unconscious, Carla and Paul undress her, and Carla applies the halothane soaked cloth over her nose and mouth and Paul begins to rape her in the basement all while Carla's filming in the video Paul says here we go hold her down repulsive you right but even more disturbing is when the rules switch and Carla begins sexually assaulting her own little sister while Paul films so disgusting actually scratch the sexual assault well I'm just gonna call it what it is rape 
She begins well, yeah. raping her little sister. Assault. No, it's rape. Yeah. Tammy began vomiting and choking for several minutes, then loses consciousness again. They panicked, hid the evidence, got her dressed, and dragged her to her room, put her in the bed, and called 911. A few hours later, Tammy Homolka was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's General Hospital. So sad. Very sad. They told the cops she drank too much, and they wrote it off as an unfortunate accident, even though there was a huge chemical burn on Tammy's face. The medical examiner asked about it, and Paul said it was a rug burn from trying to revive her. Which... On her stomach? No, no, on her face. No, I know, but were you reviving her on her while she was on her stomach? How did her face get rug burn? Right. Uh, yeah, right. Idiot. And who are these people speaking to these monsters? Or that There's just no, like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, that's what I'm like. I don't know if it was because it was Christmas Adam, like December 23rd, Christmas Adam, the 24th, Christmas Eve. Duh. I know, but I'm, a lot of people don't know that. Or that's just <laughs> what we call it. Duh. So I don't know if it's because the holidays and no one want to be working or deal with that, which I'm sure is not the case, obviously. But I mustered up the courage to look at this autopsy picture. Uh-uh. Are you serious? There is no one in their right mind that would believe this is a run burn. There are <gasps> several layers of skin removed. It is a gut punch when you see it. It's a giant bright red burn covering her entire left cheek up to her temple. Oh, like, my God. Even, I cannot believe you looked at that. And then, the, like, a bunch of, like, almost boils around her lips. Which, even if a rug could do that, it would have to be very forceful, and you'd have to be dragging her somewhere. Like, well, that wasn't even that a question. Well, that's a serious right burn. Why, where were you dragging her to? I just, I'm like, there's so many things. I'm like, God, there's so many opportunities to be like, wait. To stop this. That oh doesn't God. add up. That makes me so sick. Well, wait. And then so when they called 911, quote unquote, because she drank too much, mm-hmm. were the parents not like, mm, wait, what is on her face? They didn't even bother to wait the parents. They rushed Tammy to the hospital. The parents met him there, but they pronounced her dead. I mean, also very suspicious yeah i mean i guess if you're her sister you could play it off like oh i'm just young and dumb and didn't want to get in trouble i don't know no, she, yeah and she's 21 at this point like get in trouble i mean i know no they did not bother to wake the parents they i bet she would write it off like well y'all could have y'all couldn't have done any more than we could have i thought now one was the right call to make before even waking y'all i don't know it's yeah, just i guess uh, like, yeah I'm so mad at the authorities, though, and the well, and the doctors for being like, "Oh, rug burn." Okay, so stupid. So it is ruled an accident. And while Carla is sad about her sister, she wasn't as distraught as Paul was. He apparently kept several things of Tammy's, including an empty cereal box, because he knew Tammy had eaten from it. And at her funeral, he was seen stroking her hair in the open casket. Ew. I know. Paul blames Carla for not administering the halothane correctly since she's the vet tech. She should know the dosage amount that could kill someone. So to appease Paul, Carla would dress up in Tammy's clothes, talk like her, 
and have sex with him as Tammy. Again, all on film. In her room, where they killed her, she would talk like, I hope Carla doesn't find out. She's like role-playing. It's disgusting. Then she gives him oral sex on Tammy's bed as he's holding a picture of Tammy. Jesus. The amount of fucking upness. And now this gets dark, too. And I'm sorry. Trigger warning. A week after they killed Tammy, Carla writes Paul a letter, which is disgusting. It reads, I loved it when you effed my little sister. She doesn't say F, but like, it's just too too, too much, much too much talking to deal about with. a kid right okay go on i loved it when you effed my little sister i love when you effed tammy i love when you took her virginity you're the king i love licking your ass paul i loved it when you put snuffles in her could not find what snuffles meant at all i felt proud i felt horny it's my mission to make you feel good i'm glad you made me touch her not a direct quote but the actual direct quote is fucking repulsive You know I liked it. We like little girls. The little girls should be 13, and I think you should take their virginity, break their hymens with snuffles. I don't want to know what snuffles is. I know. They're all our children, and I think you should make them ours even more. I'm your slut. I'm the keeper of your virgins. I love you. I want to marry you. You effed my little sister, and I'll let you do that. And that I took out the parts about Tammy's body because— that she said specifically because she's fucking 15. She's a child, and I'm not going to do that to her. Ugh. But if you're morbidly curious, it's it's in that book I referenced, and I'm sure you can Google it. It, just, it like, makes my blood boil. <sighs> so after Tammy's death, the Homolkas sit Carla down and ask if Paul can move out to give them some privacy. They're mourning. It's a lot to have a house guest. It's just all very reasonable things. Sure. Paul's pissed. Duh. I don't know. But he and Carla rent a house about 10 minutes away. And at this point, Paul's lost his job. So he's smuggling cigarettes from the U.S. to Canada to make, to make some extra money. I really tried to look. I was like, what are the laws in Canada? Yeah, why? No, they're okay. the same as ours. I think it's a tax thing. Okay. I don't <laughs> I just, know. I don't know. I was sort of researching. I'm like, I don't even care. Fuck this. So that was to make him some extra money. And Carla still is working at the vet. But she's only making $9 an hour. So he turns one of their guest rooms into a studio and starts making music as an aspiring rapper. So finally some humor in the story. (laughs) For real. (laughs) Give me a damn break. So stupid. I'm sure they were awful. One night, they went back over to the Homolka's house to iron out some wedding plans. And her dad told them they spent a huge amount of savings on the unexpected funeral they had to plan for their baby and asked if they could cut down on some of the extravagance of their wedding, to which Paul suggested they take out a second mortgage. Fuck you. Dickhead. Carla pitched a fit and said no. She wanted a big wedding and later wrote to her friend, fuck my parents, they're such assholes, only thinking of themselves. All my dad's been doing since Tammy's death is wallowing in his own misery. If he wants to stay home and be miserable, he's welcome to do that, but we're out having fun. Less than six months after her sister's death. She's like, it's time to get over it. Right. She's like, I think it's time to move on. Ugh. One night in June 1991, Paul is driving around in the middle of the night, stealing license plates for his... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) For his sick smuggling side gig. 
and he spots a young girl walking around alone. Leslie Mahaffey was 14 years old and had attended her friend's funeral that day who died in a car wreck, <gasps> which in itself, I'm like, 14 is oh. too young to start going to your friend's funerals. Yeah, it is. And like the, oh God, what a bad day for poor Leslie. Yeah. After the funeral, she and some friends went to the woods to console each other and drink. She had missed her curfew a few times before and was already running late. So when she got home, her parents had locked her, locked her out to teach her a lesson. That's terrible. Oh, God. Paul got out of his car to talk to her, offered her a cigarette, and when they were walking back to get to his car to get the cigarette, he pulled out a knife and wrapped his sweatshirt around her face and forced her in the car. He came home and woke Carla saying, we have a new playmate, and she went back to bed. The next day, they took turns videotaping themselves, torturing and raping her while listening to Bob Marley and David Bowie. At one point, Bernardo says, you're doing a good job, Leslie, a damn good job. The next two hours are going to determine what I do to you, but right now you're, per- you're scoring perfect. On another part of the video, another trigger, sorry, it's disturbing. On another part of the video, which was later played at the trial, Mahaffey cried out in pain as she was being sodomized, and they gave her a teddy bear to comfort her and squeeze. Oh, my God. I can't keep saying fuck off. I know. But I want to. You can. They keep her for 24 hours, and during that time, Carla goes to work, act completely normal, walks her dogs, reads, relaxes, and point this out for later, clearly not distressed about the situation. On June 16th, Carla's family was coming over for Father's Day dinner, so they strangled Leslie with an electrical cord and kept her in the basement while they ate upstairs. The next day, Paul went to a hardware store and got 12 bags of cement. They dismembered her and encased each piece in the cement and dumped her into Lake Gibson. Paul would later claim he intended to release Leslie, and it was Carla who strangled her because Leslie's blindfold slipped and she saw her, but we'll never know for sure. The actual killings were the only thing not on the tapes. I can kind of see, like, he was probably so, they were probably so hard to catch because their crimes are so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, except he, he was a serial rapist that was very consistent. But, like, mm-hmm. I guess no one knows that Tammy was actually murdered. But then, like, mm-hmm. they dismember another victim. Like, it's I just, know, it's not the same MO at all. Yeah, so they're not, like, I don't know, they're thinking these are one-offs. It's just, like, I mean... Eventually, they catch on because we're talking about it right now. But mm-hmm. it's insane. I know. On June 29th, so roughly two weeks after her death, a father and son are fishing on Lake Gibson and discover the remains of Leslie. She was identified by her braces. No. She's a baby. This was coincidentally the same day as Paul and Carla's wedding, lavish wedding, which included a horse-drawn carriage to the reception. This is when Paul started regularly hitting and abusing Carla. She later, later claimed her wedding night was the worst night of her life. Since it's her mission to keep him happy, she starts becoming more involved in the abductions. In April of 1992, Paul and Carla are driving around looking for a victim and pass Holy Cross Secondary School just as school's letting out. They spotted Kristen French, a 15-year-old student, walking home, and they decided that's the one they wanted. Carla put her hair in a ponytail to seem less threatening, got out of the car with a map in hand, and asked Kristen if she could help with directions. As she was looking at the map, 
Paul attacks her from behind and forces her in the front seat as Carla sits in the back, pulling her hair to keep her down. Kristen was an honor student who won several medals in ice skating, and she was on the school's rowing team. She was very reliable, very rule-abiding, so when she wasn't home by three, the search almost immediately started. Kristen's father called her mother at work at 3.40 p.m. and said Kristen hasn't been home yet to feed the dog, and her mom rushed home. Like, that's how out of character it was. Yeah. Within 24 hours, Niagara Regional Police had assembled a team to search the route she took, and they found one of her shoes. Several witnesses also saw her talking to two people in the church parking lot, so they immediately thought abduction. Like, the runaway theme? Yeah. Not an option here. Thank God. Yeah. Over the next three days of that Easter weekend, Bernardo and Homolka videotaped themselves torturing, raping, and sodomizing her. But unlike Leslie Mahaffey, she never had a blindfold on. So she, the intent was always going to be to kill her. Yeah. She was forced to watch videos of Leslie. Oh, God. That, that like, oh, my God, this is what I'm in for. Like, that yeah. poor dread that would wash over you. And they forced her to watch the press conference of her sobbing dad pleading for her safe return. Oh, no. Fucking cruel. They're animals. Oh, God. Paul made her call him king and tell him that he, she loved him. By the end of her captivity, she started getting a little snarky back. She calls him a bastard, which is very triggering for him since his mom called him that. Oh, yeah. But, like, I can totally see that. If, I've, if you made me watch a classmate's yeah. torture video and she's ended up being dead, I'd be like, oh, well, then I'm going to tell you what I think of you. Yeah. You're a piece enough. of shit. Yeah. I got nothing to lose. Yeah. So, anyway, she gets severely beaten after calling him a bastard, and he cannot shake it. He keeps going back to that. The entire time she's held captive. She even apologizes, tries to flatter him, but he can't shake. He just, he keeps coming back to me asking, why did you call me that? Like, he's a little sissy, hurt feelings. Yeah. Like, get over it. When Paul's out getting something to eat, Kristen tells Carla, Carla that her restraints are too tight and Carla agrees to loosen them, but Kristen tries to run. So Carla beats her with a rubber mallet. Oh, God. When Paul gets home, he strangles her with the same electrical cord used on Leslie for seven minutes while Carla watched. Then, Carla immediately goes and fixes her hair for Easter dinner at the Homolkas. So once again, they left the body while they go eat with Carla's family. And at that dinner, Carla's mom brings up Kristen's name because it's all over the news. Mm -hmm. And Paul agrees about how horrifying it is and acts appalled about all the violence going on in the area. He's like, this is why I moved out of Toronto. This is... I wanted to come to a safer neighborhood, and this happens. This is awful. This is appalling. Like, you piece of shit. Yeah. Once I get home, they wrapped Kristen in a blanket and threw her remains in a ditch in Burlington. Her nude body was found on April 30th, 1992. Her hair was freshly washed and had been cut. How creepy is that? See? The inconsistency. This is... God, it's so fucking weird. Yeah, it is. But they they washed and cut her hair to keep as a trophy. Ugh, okay. Bernardo was interviewed by two cops a month after Kristen's murder, but they considered him an unlikely suspect even after he admitted to being interviewed in connection with the Scarborough rapes. 
what the fuck is happening? And where are we with those 130 DNA samples? Are we to Paul yet? Uh, You'll see. Yeah, but good God. In December 1992, Paul beat Carla so badly in the back of the head with the flashlight, it caused both of her eyes to turn black and swell shut. Oh, it's the grossest picture. I just watched a dateline where that happened to someone, and apparently it's very common. And, oh, God, it's like the work beyond a black eye like ooh, oh, God, it's awful well when yeah. you first see it i'm like it looks like makeup because they're just two yeah. perfectly i mean i'll post it but it's like two perfectly black circles where i'm like that looks like makeup and knowing that it happened because she was hit in the back of the head Oof. yeah apparently that's common but um also maybe don't post it i don't uh, know about that we'll see okay maybe not i mean it's like one of the first images you google i think anyway okay well we'll see there's a lot of posting that's going to happen. I might reach my 10 carousel limit. Right. She had a broken rib and bruises all over her body. The full body photo showed that she's wearing a Mickey Mouse watch that's later discovered to be Chris and French's. <gasps> Idiots. Thank yeah. God. I know. Anyway, she returned to work on January 4th, 1993 and told everyone she was in a car accident. But her coworkers didn't believe her and called her parents. And they took her to the hospital. She claimed to be a battered spouse and filed charges against Paul, who was arrested but released on bail the next day. A month later, the samples that Bernardo gave two years earlier were finally tested, positively identifying him as the Scarborough rapist. Finally. The rape ant murder. So we need him on more than just that. That's true. So they tap his phones and put him under surveillance, and they go to Carla first to see what they can get out of her. She's uncooperative, and the only thing she tells him is that he's a cigarette smuggler. But once the cops leave, she does tell her aunt and uncle, who she's staying with at the time, that Paul's blackmailing her, and he's responsible for Kristen and Leslie's murder. They urge her to get an attorney, so she hires George Walker, who wants to get ahead of this potential backlash to his client and attempts to get her full immunity to testify against Paul. The attorney general says, fuck no, but I will consider a reduced sentence. So with Carla's willingness to tell them everything, they arrest Paul on February 17th for the murders of Leslie and Kristen in addition to the Scarborough rapes. But they ignore his request for an attorney so that eight hours of initial interrogation is inadmissible in court and undocumented. Oh, no. My God. Damn it. I really flawed a few things here. I mean, for real. Wait, so but she didn't come clean about Tammy? No. Well, not yet. Well, yeah, I know. But I just, no. I wonder why she didn't do it then. Well. Okay. Hold on. They're ironing out the plea deal. Right. Police interrogate Carla for four days. And in these videos, she's an emotional, she's a robot. And I know we've said that before, like about Colleen Stan's case. They used her emotionless testimony against her in court. But she wasn't forced to kill anyone. And she did not watch her sister die. Like, it- yeah. Carla is not a victim. Sorry. No, Sorry. obviously not. Well, some, some people disagree. She describes herself as a battered wife who was forced to participate in Paul's crimes. She told them he forced her to get halothane from the animal clinic. She told them all about Tammy, how he forced her to put sleeping pills in her drink and halothane over her face. But she said she wouldn't put it on her face. 
she held it 12 inches away so it wouldn't kill her. I guess not thinking they would exhume her body, but they did and retested it. And obviously it was, a, in fact, a chemical burn, which you would only get if you covered the rag directly on her face. Right. And then they went to the hospital and talked to the doctor and said, do we have to tell you what a chemical burn looks like? Right. God, it just makes me real mad. Mm-hmm. Also, a creepy ass side fact. When they did exhume her body and open the casket, they found a picture of Carla and Paul in it. Uh, I cannot say again, fuck you. They have put it there during that open casket funeral. How a eerie would that be to find? Because you know, you know why you're exhuming it for these two people, and then you open it, and there's a picture of them. And let her fucking rest in peace, you assholes. Don't let her spend eternity with a picture of her murderers. They don't God. think like that. that. That's, I mean, case I in point, I mean, I don't know who put it there, which one. Maybe Paul did it solo. A picture that they both did it or both agreed to it? No, they both did it. Carla's parents instructed the medical examiner not to put that picture back in when reburying her. Mm. Oh, God, obviously. Obviously. Carla tells them all the details about Kristen and Leslie and that they were Paul's sex slaves who he eventually strangled. When asked what her reaction was when Paul came in with Leslie, she said in a little baby voice, which we'll learn later, she always does. I was really mad because he had gotten out two of our crystal champagne glasses that we hadn't used yet, and they drank from them. They were from France and really expensive, so I was really mad about that. Like, what? Oh That's my not, God. I don't give a shit about your crystal champagne glasses. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. A, and by the way, then you went back to sleep. So, right. You're good. But like, that's not what we were asking. How did you react to, mo- how fuck off? As if the detectives were like, no. No. Shut well, the fuck up. No way. <laughs> then she tells them that there are videos of their torture, of course, leaving herself out of it. So the cops spent 71 days searching the house and can't find them. So now they really need her testimony. Damn it. It's all the evidence they have for their murders. So she's granted the plea deal that will forever be known as the deal with the devil. For her full cooperation, she will get a maximum of 12 years. Five years each for Kristen and Leslie and two additional years for her involvement in Tammy's death. Under this, what? Nothing. Well, you're probably going to get to it. But, like, until they see the tapes, she raped Tammy, too. There's way more than that. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. Under this, I guess I'm just going to miss my call. That's so no, well, bad. Don't, like, miss it. We can do it. 15 minutes, we got this. I'm page my own. Shit. No, I know. I can do it. Under this agreement, she has to walk police through their house to point out where the rapes took place, everything, where they killed them, and whatever. And my God, she's dressed in a little schoolgirl outfit. Her hair is in braids. She's talking that damn voice, like very clearly trying to mirror herself as one of his victims. Like, look, I'm just an innocent little girl, too. Like, shut the fuck up. And during this, and I'll post that. It is insane. During the walkthrough, the detectives are like, okay, so... This is the room where Leslie was initially attacked. And she goes like, she's like, yeah, can I ask a question? Was any of our furniture damaged during the investigation? Because I'd like that back. Uh, like, 
very <sighs> detached. Like, yeah. Later, she's showing the detectives the bathroom where they cleaned Kristen French's body of evidence and cut her hair. She talks about how Paul's attorney must have taken a perfume sample she had in that drawer. It's just like, what went wrong? Right. Then in the basement where they are, she is showing them where they dismember Leslie, the most gruesome scene, I'm sure. She inquires about a book that's lying on the ground and goes, may I take this book or does that need to stay here? The detective's like, again, just leave it here. We'll arrange for that later. She's just so blasé. She's an idiot. They're like, so strange. Eating the green eggs and ham. Fucking idiot. (laughs) Yeah, she's. I hate her. Unfortunately, so I think much. she's smart. She got away with everything. But yeah. Her trial is set for June 28, 1993. On March 5th, Carla is admitted to Northwestern General Hospital for a psychiatric assessment. And it's so involved, she's kept there until April 23rd. And I looked up what's standard, which obviously differs from person to person, case to case. But I kept getting the results of like two to eight hours. She was, oh, like, she was there for like six months. I mean, six weeks. Yeah, because she's baffling. They're like, wait, so your childhood was happy. Mm-hmm. She's you, a- I don't know. Like, it, just like, what went wrong? It yeah. can't be just you met a guy who forced you into this. I know. It's Charlie Brandt all over again. Yeah, like, for real. A diagnostic mystery is what Carla's dean does. While in there, she writes her family a letter taking full responsibility of Tammy's death and explains Paul's abuse and control and claims she stayed with them because she felt that now she deserved it after what she did to her Tammy Kens. Mm. She said she hated herself from the moment it happened. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. That letter to your friend about what asshole your parents were says otherwise, but okay. Right. You didn't feel guilt. Come on. On May 6th, with Paul's permission, his attorney goes into Carla and Paul's house and gets all the videos, which were hidden in the ceiling above the bathroom. And the attorney holds the videos for 16 months. Illegal and unethical as shit. I remember that part, too. Yeah. On May 19th, they now have enough to charge Paul with two counts of each, kidnapping, unlawful confinement, aggravated sexual assault, and first-degree murder, and one count of dismemberment. His trial is set for May 18, 1995, so two years later. So first, Carla's trial. She's managed to strike the deal before anyone knows about the videotapes, connecting her to her very clear involvement, and she pleads guilty to two counts of manslaughter and is sentenced her 12 years max. No official charges were ever brought during Tammy's death, even though she wrote a confession letter to her family, but she still got the 12 years. Good God. In September of 1994, Paul's attorney quits and hands over the videos to John Rosen, his new attorney, who gives them to police that month, as, yeah. as you should. The good they, guy. Yeah. And they start prepping for Paul's trial. Well, he's still defending Paul, so. That's true. Not <laughs> <laughs> me. The previous attorney was later charged with attempted obstruction of justice and possession of child pornography. But he's, oh, yeah. There, there you go. That's I right. Know. I know. But he's later acquitted. So fuck that. So they review the videotapes and notice that not only does Carla appear to be a willing participant in enjoying it, there's a fourth victim that she never disclosed when arranging the plea deal. 
This victim's referred to as Jane Doe, and her identity is still covered by the publication ban, so it's never been revealed. But they tell Carla's attorney she could be faced with additional charges, which would nullify the 12-year deal. But a few weeks later, it's determined that it's not in the public interest to charge Homolka because they still need her to testify against Paul, and Jane Doe agrees to drop charges because she doesn't want her identity known, and she's going through PTSD. <gasps> Therefore, the plea deal is honored. Another one for the serial killer, another injustice for victims everywhere. Right. Oh, God. But here's what Jane tells the court during Paul's trial. Oh, so she does testify. Yeah, as a witness. She's not charging. Oh, okay. Gosh, okay. Yeah. Six weeks after the wedding, Carla met this 15-year-old at work, and she brought her home, put sleeping pills in her drink, followed by halothane to keep her out, called Paul and said to come home because she had a surprise wedding gift for him. Jane testified that she really looked up to Carla, who was 21 at the time, as an older sister she never had. They videotaped themselves raping her, and she woke up the next morning not knowing this and thought that she had just drinking too much and was mortified that she couldn't handle her alcohol. She was scared that Carla wouldn't hang out with her anymore. She became a regular at Paul and Carla's house, and eventually they stopped drugging her and would just sexually assault her and rape her while she was conscious. She said, quote, Paul would take me into the bedroom and say he wanted me to perform oral sex on him. He told me if I didn't keep him happy, Carla wouldn't be happy. And I really wanted to make Carla happy. Oh, my God. When Paul wanted actual sex from her, she put her foot down because he was married and she was a virgin and didn't want to lose her virginity that way, not knowing that she already had. Oh, God. This went on for months until Jane Doe's mom stepped in, thinking it's weird as shit that this couple in their early 20s wants to hang out with a 15-year-old. I was wondering that, too. Where are the parents? That stops right then and there. Carla, during Paul's trial, claims she has no recollection of this at all. At all. (laughs) Which is why she didn't tell police in the first place. She's claiming, like, batter wife syndrome, where she, like, blocks things out. All bullshit. She did say in prison she kept dreaming of her involvement with Jane Doe, but didn't know if it was real or not. Like, I just can't with this bitch. Yeah, for real. Paul's defense gets up there and claims Carla was the mastermind, noting that their client was a rapist, but had never murdered anyone until he met Carla. Paul got on the stand and claimed he was actually never in the room when Kristen and Leslie were killed. Carla did the ball. As I said before, it's literally the only thing not on the videotape, so we'll never know for sure who actually did the killing. But Paul was found guilty on all nine charges, and he was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 25 years, but was later declared a dangerous offender. And in Canada, that means it's almost impossible that he would ever get released. He's been denied parole twice already. Good, obviously. Yeah. During her imprisonment, Carla actually started a three-year relationship with, I'm going to botch this, Jean-Paul Jabert. He's French. Fellow inmate. You know what <laughs> Fellow inmate who was in prison for strangling his girlfriend. I guess it was a co-ed prison. They were seen passing underwear to each other over the fence in the common area and would write each other very sexually aggressive letters. When Homolka applied for parole in 2001, her relationship with him was one of the reasons she was denied. But on July 5th, 2005, Carla 
Homolka was released at 35 years old. The judge ruled that due to the risk involved with her being free, she would have to abide by certain restrictions, including disclosing her address to work and home and who she's living with. If she's going to be away from home for two days or more, she needs to give notice three days in advance. Mm -hmm. She's not allowed to be around people younger than 16. She must continue therapy and counseling. She cannot consume alcohol or drugs. Any name change must be submitted to the police. And she couldn't be in contact with any violent criminals and restricted from contacting Bernardo or any of the victim's families, which shouldn't be a problem. It's not like she's sorry. What would she have to say to him? Yeah, exactly. Breaking any of these would get her two years in prison. But by November 2005, Judge James Breton lifted all restrictions, stating there's not enough evidence to justify them, which I respectfully disagree. Roll the tapes. Right. She's as free as a bird now. Oh, but while they were in force for those, what, four or five months? Yeah. She apparently did break them. She worked at a hardware store where the owner was charged with sexual assault and beating his wife. Therefore, criminal, she was in contact with a violent criminal. She would also offer to babysit his kids often, both not only under the age of 16, they were under the age of 10. That's two. But that's okay. Carla rules the world, so whatever. Laws don't apply to her. Well, I was wondering how they're going to monitor those anyway. Um, like the owner told on her. Oh, really? Well, he's arrested. They know where she had to disclose her address to work once that owner's arrested. Yeah. Carla then requests that the media be restricted from publicizing details of her life since being released. But that's denied. Thank yep. God. They're like, nah, you good. I was about to say, like, can anything go the way it should? Right. And okay. Kristen and Leslie's family had to endure unwanted media at the funerals outside the courthouse constantly after their deaths. Why shouldn't their murder? Go right. fuck off. No. Ungranted. No. Denied. Screw you. I would love to deliver that news. I know. She went on to marry one of her attorney's brothers, Terry Bordelais. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And had three kids with them. She also killed three kids, so our irony for you. Right. But I do feel bad for her children. They, they're going to have to pay for her crimes, and that's sad. Yeah. She changed her name to Leanne Teal, which I think is what it still is. And they moved to Guadalupe, then Quebec, which is her last known whereabouts. And Canadians are understandably pissed. There's a Facebook page called Watching Carla Homolka to keep everyone updated on where she is. Yes. There's a petition for her to be registered as a sex offender, which I cannot believe she isn't already. But as of 2022, there are 40,000 signatures. Send it over. We'll sign it. I'll sign it right now. Yeah. A mom found out she was volunteering at her kid's elementary school and supervising field trips. And she like posted flyers everywhere on the school being like, this is... This woman is at our school. This is who's run in our neighborhood. This is oh, the good media. For her. Uh-huh. The media was swarmed her. Like in 2016, the media found out her address and set up camp in her driveway, interviewing neighbors, some of which had no idea she was living next door and became pissed. Her husband came out and 
The reporter asks what he thought of the community's concerns over their family living there. And he says, has anything happened over the last 10 years? So why are they worried? If they're that worried, all they need to do is move. You're not sure whether you know why they're worried. And, and 10 years, A, not that long. And B, the severity of what she did. You're not worried. You have kids with this bitch. Right. Oh, God, there's something wrong with, I think, every single person you've mentioned in this story except the victims. Um, apparently, a reporter called the former attorney to verify that that was her brother he's married. And he said, I don't know who that those people are and hung up. So I'm like, oh. So you're, okay. so you're, you're disowned your, yeah, you've disowned your brother too. Good. Anyway, so she is under a watchful eye in Canada. She's, there's no escaping it. And it's amazing. Good. Keep the harassment going. Sorry. Yeah. I wanted to go into the, the mental analysis, but it's also very obvious. I'm not going to get too far into it, but here's what's up. Evidence from expert psychiatric reports found that Paul had deviant sexual interests and met the criteria of sexual sadism. So he's aroused by fear of violence. This is obviously the fear of jumping out of the bushes and re-raping those poor victims. That was all exciting for him and aroused him. He also met criteria for voyeurism, which is arousal by watching other people engage in sexual activities or in private moments like sleeping, changing, like peeping Tom shit. Yeah. He's also a psychopath, which makes him more likely to reoffend again, which is one of the reasons he was deemed a um, dangerous offender. Okay. Carla was considered, again, a diagnostic mystery. She scored five out of 40 on the psychopathy checklist, whereas Paul scored 35 out of 40. Forensic psych. I see that checklist. You can. It's, I think you, you can Google it. Forensic psychiatrists who did the assessment on Carla think she's a malignant narcissist, which is a highly abusive and means a person is so egotistical and self-important they cannot tolerate humiliation, whether that be criticism or whatever they deem to be humiliating. This gets to the point of paranoia, and they will begin to hurt or destroy people in order to avoid this quote-unquote humiliation. So in Carla's case, Paul's obsession with Tammy and her little sister potentially replacing her was so embarrassing, she wanted to destroy Kimmy. That's where I'm like, you did, you killed her on purpose. Yeah. You wanted her out of the way. Right. Also, uh, she got pissed at her parents for wanting to downsize the wedding. That would be humiliating to her. Yeah, that, I was thinking that too. The lack of empathy she has to others also meet the criteria of a psychopath, not a sociopath. Psychopaths are born, sociopaths are made, usually by abuse from a young age or something traumatic. And since there's nothing noting in Carla's childhood that indicate that she had anything but a loving family, she fits psychopath. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And this also explains why she was so pissed off at the champagne flutes and her nonchalant attitude walking the cops in her house. Yeah. For psychopaths, things and objects are far more important than people. I mean, they nailed it with that. I know. Lastly, it's speculated that she has hybristophilia, where a person is attracted and aroused by people who commit heinous crimes. The typical case being when the women like write Ted Bundy and Charles Manson love letters. Yeah. In extreme cases, they have to know a crime is committed or have seen the crime in order to have an orgasm. But in most cases, it's 100% controllable in almost no case reports of the person actually participating in the crime. This is where Carla is the exception. 
Which also makes me wonder, then, how is she not a sexual sadist? Too. Uh, which she might. Yeah. Either way, this diagnostic is spot on, considering she also dated the inmate who strangled his girlfriend. I was thinking that, too. But now she's married and probably buried all these urges deep down below because none of the mental disorders I've listed here are curable. So she still has them, which is why she's very much clearly a threat to society. Right. And her kid, like, she's just bottling them up if she's not doing this now it's she's just gonna like commit some heinous like uh, right. oh god i don't right. like it and how the universe allowed these two monsters to find each other's all shocking that's the shocking twist is that the universe allowed these two monsters and mindfuck people to find each other and several victims were collateral damage and the match made in hell for real and that's the story of the evil twat monsters. Is that what I called them at the beginning? I, I think so. Great. Yeah. No, that was great. See, it is high profile. I mean, especially you Canadian listeners. I know it. But here, not, not in that much detail. Like the sister thing, I will not forget. That's, I think, why I forgot all the other details. Is that one was like, ugh. Mm-hmm. And then the asshole first lawyer who kept all the videotapes for over a year i remember I that part too like god so many people in this story are fucked and there are a ton of um because <clears throat> that's what gets me i'm like wait, wait wait now that they've seen it screw the plea deal you lied to us you were not a right you so there null and void yeah I, that's thanks, what i don't thanks get. for your help <laughs> bye yeah you know how you manipulated those women to come back home so you could rape, torture, and kill them? Well, we tricked yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> no plea deal. I mean, I know how, can't This must be of- humiliating for you. Uh-huh. Exactly. To really get in our head. Getting the theme. Okay. But there were, um, I forget which attorney. There's so many interviews I read. So many things. But. Everyone assumes, like, had they had the tapes before, they wouldn't need Carla's testimony and buzz off and they'd both be life in prison. And this guy says, unlikely. He said, he's, he really? said, had they found the videos, they would still need Carla's testimony. But if they had them before, she may have gotten 15 years instead of 12, but it, it wouldn't have made a difference. I'm like, what? How? This is insane. I started trying to, to get to the legality of it, but like I am so drained by this horror story that I couldn't get far into it. But every plea deal was honored. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Because every plea deal is honored. Carla's free. She's out and about. What's she, her name? I'm going to stalk. Leanne Teal. <clears throat> right. Unless she's changed it and it's under wraps now, but I think that's her last name. Yikes. Yeah, and there's I'll I'll post the like cameras following her at school and stuff like that. Shit like that. That's the most recent. She has like brown hair now. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Post that. Sorry, Canadians, keep harassing. I don't. I'm. I keep it up. Yeah, yeah. Keep it up because (laughs) she did not do her time. No, she deserves it. She does. Um, I have a note at the beginning of this story that says Rachel Blake. I don't know where I was going to tie it in, which was so, it was before I started the research. And now I'm like, oh, I can't tie this in. They all weren't that bad. Rachel oh. had a boyfriend when she was 14 who was, did petty crimes. 
<laughs> nothing to this nature. But I've wrote it before going really deep into detail. And I'm like, well, I can't fit this in. <laughs> and he like would. <laughs> right, Tremblay. You know how Carla feels, right? Oh, Blake. my God. Right? She but still like apologizes to our dad for dating him. <laughs> I do. It was a real, oh, my God, if I were dad, I would have locked me up. Um, he would like the straw I think that broke the camel's back where he's still like in and out of prison to this day. We obviously broke up. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> he like uh, was gonna told this guy he was interested in buying his Tahoe. I mean, his Bronco. Remember, oh, yeah. He was like, I'm test driving. This guy told me I could test drive it for a couple of days before I committed. And the guy absolutely did not tell him <laughs> that. He just like stole it. stole it. Was like, yeah, go around the block. And he kept it for like a week. And we would drive around in it all I, the time. I like, that, he picked me up from school in it. We went to, like, <laughs> I It's like fascinating. Dad jumped. It died. Yeah. And dad it, came out and jumped it and was like, all right, bye, y'all. It, it was, I mean, so he did shit like that. He got pulled over when taking his parents' car out when he was, like, 14. It's so cool. It's much lower level than stupid Paul and Carla. Oh, I know. But I found that note. I just came across that note being like, <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that. And my last story about Nicholas Barclay when I was like, I was a bitch when I was 14, too. I know. And I was, or you said that. And I was going to say, yeah, but I never went to jail. I just went to visit my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to visit my boyfriend in jail. Oh, my God. God, what little shits. Poor mom and dad. I apologize right. to this day. I have a um, corporate conference call that started 15 minutes ago. So I got a jet. You are very late. All right. All right. You are the best. People are the worst. Bye. Bye. Peace. Peace.